you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, March 4th, 2022. This is episode number 229. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, this show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 27,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you'd like to be an audience participant. That's one of the unique things about this show. Not only do we have a panel of expert correspondents, often we have someone in our audience that is intimately involved in the story. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, director of operations at LB Atlantis, and an important advocate for the plant. Nicole is a veteran in the cannabis industry and is always ready to use her experience to guide others. That experience includes taking a felony for a vague and confusing law. During her brief incarceration, she earned the nickname Jail Google from fellow inmates. What juicy bit of spice have you got today, Nicole? Well, good morning, everybody, and happy fuck it, it's Friday. Um, my headline today actually comes out of High Times. It was written by Jim Devine, or Jimmy Devine, pardon me. And it's in regards to something that has been a very spicy topic here in California, and that is the Elevate LA Cultivators. Jungle Boys raided over some bogus late fees. Now, I'd like to start the conversation just by saying, as somebody who has gone through the ringer over things that the government has utilized as complete bullshit-ass technicalities to treat businesses that are in the cannabis industry completely as second-class businesses and not businesses that have, uh, you know, billions of dollars going into tax revenue around the planet. Um, this is something that I personally have to stay, say that, well, I stand with Jungle Boys. So TLC, home of the Jungle Boys, was raided by law enforcement over what is appearing to be a $66,000 
uh, late fee, in which they actually already had a hearing for. So Tuesday night saw one of Los Angeles' most storied dispensaries have a rough run-in with law enforcement and the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration, or the CDTFA. TLC is famously the headquarters of Jungle Boys. They are one of the premier examples of urban farmers bootstrapping their way to success in the modern cannabis industry, which has seen so many tragically fall short and have to sell a piece or sell out completely. As one of the culture's best success stories in the world of corporate dogs, the community was pissed, to say the least, to see what had gone through on Tuesday night. Why? Because we've watched them jump through every hoop that's existed for the legal cannabis market in L.A. to maintain the quality, which is better than most. While some would say, well, this is legal cannabis in regards to the raid, we wouldn't be wrong to those who have a bit more hope in their hearts would be pissed to see someone who's done so well up to this point be treated like this. So what happened? Well, apparently, High Times got a chance to talk to Ivan to find out. So here is a quote from Ivan uh, directly. So I want to make sure that everyone knows this is from Ivan, the, one of the owners of the Jungle Boys. At 5 o'clock in the evening, we were all sitting inside of the shop. It's the first of the month, so we're paying all of our bills, Ivan told High Times. We look up at the camera and see one car, two cars, three cars, four, and we're like, holy shit, they must be chasing someone inside of our building, you know? We watched them come up to the first, what we thought was either chasing someone inside of our building or someone that worked for us maybe had a warrant or something. I remember these exact feelings, and this is the most real feeling when you're seeing your legal business go through something like this. You're like, well, this couldn't be us, right? Like, we're fucking doing everything we can. As they started to watch the employees get corralled by law enforcement, they quickly realized the situation was turning into something else. Ivan explained the shock of that moment when he says, we started seeing the roundup of all of our employees in the front lobby area, and we were like, what the fuck? We're being raided? He immediately jumped on the line with his lawyer and looked at the cameras. He then explained what was happening next. Right next to the office, two cops come in with guns and put them in our faces, tell us to get on the fucking ground. This is basically a raid basically, question mark. And we were like, what the fuck? Ivan spent the first hour presuming that someone had really screwed up somewhere to cause this kind of a stop. I was thinking in my head, we owe millions of dollars, Ivan said. I've never seen where you have a highway patrol, LAPD sheriff, and every agency all working together. Eventually, the TLC team would discover that this was all caused by a fine discrepancy with the CDTFA, where their offices were closed during the pandemic and the dispensaries couldn't pay their taxes, as we are forced to in cash. Despite the $18 million that they did receive from the Jungle Boys last year, they decided to move forward with this action on a $66,000 sum that the Jungle Boys had already received a hearing date for. The CDTFA regularly inspects cannabis dispensaries, and they'll come ask to see their last few invoices to make sure everything's in order. We asked Ivan if during those side inspections they have increased over the past year, if anything seemed off or you ever felt like things weren't cool. And he said that things always seemed normal. They could come, see whatever they wanted, and TLC would go along with it. But once they realized what was really up, they were not going along with this. They won't talk to our lawyer. They won't look at the appeal paperwork, Ivan said, and they received the shock of it all. They basically said that they're taking all the money inside the building. And I'm like, wait, what? over $66,000? That's when things change. I'm like, you motherfucker, what the fuck? You're fucking raiding our building over a dispute that we have a date set? You guys have an email. You guys received it. You guys fucking accepted it. You sent, we sent faxes. Who even sends a fax anymore? We have all the paperwork. Here it is. What is this about? I thought it was over millions of fucking dollars that we messed up on. Ivan is raging, and the CDTFA apparently cleared out $174,000 in cash from TLC. 
they even emptied the tip jars. This is our standard procedure of cannabis business or any business. We're not selling out any industry or any type of business. If you owe taxes in California, we do our best to collect what is due to us, is what the CDTFA told High Times. And this is absolutely insane that they would go in over $66,000. Any normal business would get a death by a thousand paper cuts. They would get violations. They would get, I mean, even the point of a lien or something along those lines. But this is absolutely ridiculous way of overstep of uh, the CDTFA and, you know, the government in general's reach. I've got some very choice opinions and, and I would definitely like to hear from all of our correspondents in, you know, where they feel this is as far as the line is concerned. And I'm Nicole West reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Also... Hey. I stand with Jungle Boy. Yes. Hey, y'all. I, I apologize. We should have done a trigger warning on Nicole's story because I know I'm triggered. I stand with Jungle Boys as well. Shout out to Ivan. Shout out to the whole best. I'm the best, the best genetics in the city. I'm, I'm totally with Jungle Boys on this. However, I do want to state um, that having 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 dealt with uh, the state board equalization which is now the cdfta they do have the right to be able to do this it clearly states in the in the in the letters that they send out when you owe back taxes that you have to make a payment plan otherwise you will face these types of actions and so this is a adequate response on their site adequate response and, and give a couple cents on this one uh you know, I did talk to Ivan that night, too. Uh, really good coverage, Nicole. Uh, you hit a lot of the, uh, you know, the highlights of, of, of what we spoke about without getting too deep into a confidential conversation. But at the end of the day, um, you know, this is all just free look shit. Uh, they wanted a free look at Jungle Boys. The same shit's happened to me. It's not random. I'm looking at so many dispensaries right now that we might manage that have way bigger tax debt. They're not going over there. They're not robbing them. To pull out guns and point them at people over a tax debt with 20 cops is totally unnecessary. They could have walked in there with uh, two police officers. You know, the ironic part is if we took, and I said this yesterday, if we took the three best accountants from uh, legal cannabis companies and put them in the government, we would find a hundred times more than the CDFTA would ever find at a legal cannabis uh, store. LA, 47 million in police overtime. Some of the tax money has been earmarked for police. The issue is the police is the biggest union. It's not a private sector union. It's a public sector union. So the money just goes in a fucking circle and they keep people in office. They're a huge special interest. And again, all you have to do if you want to get somebody inspected, and I know how this works, is get like, you know, your opponent, get 10 people or your competitor, get 10 people from that office to snitch you out a bunch of times to the CDFTA and the random inspections and the collections will fucking come. We have an ATM in Riverside County that's been robbed that we still never got back and they never really gave us a reason why. I don't believe that this would happen in this way with any other business. I don't believe this would even happen with a low profile cannabis business. This is an attempt to intimidate and more importantly, what they're really trying to do is find a way to get a free look. Had they found something, they would have had a precedent. They were very confident they were gonna find something and they didn't find shit because they run it super clean. So, I mean, it's just the, the, the biggest form of tyranny and huge disappointment. And how the fuck does the CDFTA have that much power? And I, like I said, almost every cannabis company I'm looking at now has some past debt, some of them hundreds of thousands, and they're not being robbed. So, and by the way, if you're going to take the money, which it's a disputed charge, it was clearly disputed, count the fucking money you need and leave. You don't take it all and then refund them later. Makes no sense. I stand with Jungle Boys. Fuck the police. 
Fuck the CDFTA. Weed for the people. CDTFA. Uh, I've noticed that everyone keeps uh, switching the FTA and TFA. Um, but I definitely feel like these situations are being utilized um, to see what more they can find, right? Like, to me, this is like the kick in the door and try to grab everything. I don't necessarily always feel like these moments are about the thing that they're doing, but it's a bigger picture whenever the government shows up like this. I totally agree. It's a totally about a bigger picture. I think they're totally using Jungle Boys as because of their reach with social media and whatnot um, for them to have a grandstanding platform as far as the CDFT to say, guess what? Regardless of what size you are, we could be coming after you. We want our fucking tax money. But they already got 18 million of taxes last year. It's never enough, Christopher, for bureaucratic agencies. It's never enough. Especially the police. Especially the police. This well, is- the fucking funny The funny part is they're biting the fucking hand that feeds them, which we shouldn't be feeding those motherfuckers in the first place. But, like, all those guys standing there, then there's some douchebag talking about, hey, man, how can I grow on my 300 acres? Like, A, inappropriate, and B, shut the fuck up, cop. And, look, I'm not hating on all cops in general. It's the police union and how they roll and that the city officials, like, they're in office because of those police units. And since it's one-party rule in the city of L.A., Basically, there's no oversight anymore, right? The police unions back everybody, and nobody's auditing the overtime. There's more money in overtime uh, that's that, that, that's paid, you know, to to city officials than that's collected in cannabis tax. So this idea that uh, like they need cannabis tax money, bull fucking shit. You don't even need to defund shit. If you just got rid of the overtime, there would be plenty of money to cover all the cannabis tax in whatever city a cannabis business is in. It's free look shit. That's what it is. Free look. That's what they wanted. I do think it backfired, um, but they were hoping to get a big fish, send a message. I think this has backfired, and I think they're going to slow down because this has become a big story. We need to find out where that tax money's going. All of it. Oh, I can follow the money. It's all, uh, you know, overtime and pension fund scams that the police are running. I fully agree with with that. And I think the money needs to be followed because the interests do not converge with the public interest. Follow the money. Yep. Well, this is going to be an interesting story that I'm sure we'll be following for some time. We have a special guest today, and we're going to break protocol on the show to accommodate this special story that we covered yesterday. First of all, I want to say from the entire team that our condolences go out to Senator Dianne Feinstein and her family on this day of personal mourning. That being said, I think I can speak for most of us in this room that U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein is a drug warrior and is responsible for many, many lives being ruined by the drug war, especially black and brown people. We've all written letters, we've made phone calls, we've written articles, and continue to scratch our heads wondering why she votes the way she does. Well, our guest today did something about her antiquated positions. He did a very brave thing, in my opinion. We covered this story yesterday. Fired former Diane Feinstein staffer entered into Senator's <laughs> office, smoked blunt in smoke-filled insurrection, and Jamarcus Purley has agreed to come in and ask him, let us ask him anything. Thank you for joining us, Jamarcus. Hey, what's up, yeah? Thanks for coming in. Hey, can you Take hear away, me? Nick, Rico. Yeah, you're you're loud and clear. Jamarcus. Yeah, I appreciate everybody for letting me pull up. Yeah, definitely appreciate you coming on today, brother. All right, so yesterday on the show, uh, Jason Beck, one of our correspondents, uh, he covered the wild story uh, on Senator Dianne Feinstein. 
firing you and you decide to make a grand exit by enjoying a little classic debarge. I like it. After decided to cope with the situation by medicating on mushrooms and cannabis one last time in the senator's chambers. Um, you filmed the entire incident, and the video's been making its rounds. It's going a little viral right now, so I, I like that part of it. But you said that you endured about five years of microaggressions, uh, working in a hostile environment where you weren't listened to, and just um, just feeling unheard uh, while working under a polarizing career politician. So we debated on the show yesterday um, on whether the act of civil di- disobedience was merited, um, as well as if it was fair uh, for the not uh, for the right-winged outlets to call this a quote-unquote insurrection, as they clearly drew false narrative to white supremacists storming the Capitol on January 6th. Thank you for coming on with us. We just have a couple questions for you, man. Um, Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, first up, man, um, we want you to elaborate on this. Um, There's a quote that came out in the story yesterday. He said, "Uh, I knew I had been fired, but there was, uh, I was a uh, in the fucking Capitol on shrooms in an office where white people touch my hair and do racist shit. I put on my mom's favorite song because I knew it would calm me down and make me uh, comfortable. I turn on my speaker and I start the music. I start smoking that joint in Afghani, heavy indica, because I knew I needed to calm down. I thought about how special my mom and black women should feel uh, making me dance to that song in particular in a space where they aren't welcome at all. And then I started the video. So um, what went down... Uh, to let you know that you had been fired. Right. Uh, you said what well, we went down to let me know I had been fired? Yes. What do you mean somehow? How did I... I don't understand the question. Uh, what, what, were the, uh, what were the events like leading up to that moment? Okay. How did, how did... I got you. Let me tell you. So, my uh, man, I, I don't even know where to start the context, but I'll just start at the most serious point. So, my father, my father, who I didn't even know growing up like that, he, from I'm from Palmer, Arkansas, he lived about 40 minutes away. I didn't really know him. And so I always had just like deep-seated anger that I didn't know him. So that's why I studied hard in school. And why I was like, I got to prove to him that I'm worthy of being loved. And so make a long story short, my grandmother dies uh, a year uh, a year before he dies. And I see him at the funeral. And he apologized for everything I had been going through, tells me how proud he is of me. And so now we're starting to reform a connection. And then a year later, he dies of COVID. And so, I mean, the, the cognitive dissonance of having an apology you've been waiting for for like, what, 20-some years, and then not have to, that person after their relationship, it was just such a psychological conundrum. But I was just thinking about it, and I was like, man, he wouldn't have fucking died if he actually had the type of job I had, the healthcare that I have, the resources that Diane have, where this would never happen. And so then... That's when I became adamant as a motherfucker, just day-to-day, week-to-week, meeting-to-meeting. I'm just like, people in California are dying, and they cannot reach our office. And any of y'all who um, try to call or send us an email, yeah, I know, that shit does not get responded to. Like, none of that shit actually matters unless you actually have money when you come into our office. And so I'm telling them, telling them. Coming to find out, uh, I'm, so we're going into the office December. Uh, we're still going into the office. December was a, just like a, a, a month of clarity for me because, you know, I grew up in a um, super religious place in the South, all black, where uh, being queer is just not a thing here. I love my family to death. I love the community to death. But being queer, when you say that, people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? And so I knew I was queer at least in seventh grade. And there was a friend of mine named Mario, and he didn't know I was queer, but Basically, I just I, I was able to not hide my real personality around him, and he was just one of the most loving, genuine people in a community full of just like a lot of it's a, it's a tough community because we it's a lot of black people with love but no money, 
because there's been so much white flight since I was maybe six or eight years old. The Wendy's and McDonald's in my community look better than my fucking high school. And so I'm already just thinking about this moment to moment when I'm at work. The only thing I think about is home. That's why I listen, I'm listening to trap music at work 24-7. And so coming to find out, December 25th, one, uh, one of the only friends I had in seventh grade who ever let me be myself was shot and killed. And I've had a million people that were shot and killed. It doesn't even faze me at this point. I don't even think about that shit. My brother was shot and killed 2014. I saw him in a hospital bed. I didn't think twice because at this point, I just put my emotions aside knowing people don't give a fuck about us. And if we don't, like, if I don't just put that shit aside and keep going, nothing's going to happen. So I'm sitting there, you know, and Mario had been killed. And so it's just racking my brain. They're like, damn, my nigga just, my nigga was looking out for me in seventh grade Never had a chance in life. He was killed, but he had some children, and this is his life. So I'm sitting there, man. Why the fuck did I get COVID from the communications director? So whenever you see a statement come out of our office, that's written by Tom Minster, this white guy with the Reagan poster in his office who loves to, loves to make his little black accent. He loves this, this is the one he said in particular. What you talking about, Willis? I'm telling you this fucking white man in the office and I'm just sitting there day to day trying to mind my business, but he has a thousand different black accents he's like to do because he thinks he's funny. So uh, we're going into the office over the year. And so I'm still working, working, working. I don't even go home for Christmas because I'm like, people are fucking dying in California. I got to figure something out. I'm in the office. I catch COVID from him. I caught it and another person on the press team caught it. I'm fucking I'm like, I'm dying on my couch in, uh, in D.C. I live in Noma, which is like a 20-minute walk from the Capitol, uh, which is which is a selling point that it's a 20-minute walk. I'll tell you in a minute. But it's like a 20-minute walk, so I'm sitting there uh, the last day of the year on New Year's, and I'm on my couch about to die. And, like, I, I don't call my mom or call anybody because, like, you know, I just I never had anybody that really I felt like I could really talk to. So I've always just hiding the fact that I was queer, let alone anything else, whether it's shrooms, marijuana, or whatever else. And so, man, as I was sitting on that fucking couch about to die, I was just like, why the fuck am I protecting these people? Because she sent me a car when my father died. Like, I caught COVID from this person. But at the end of the day, when I really asked them what we need, which is on a basic level, just to make sure people could get into the office, just to make people make sure people, when they call in and they say that we need some type of resources because we're in San Francisco and there's this clinic does not have space for us, make sure we can do some shit. Because, again, Diane... As a millionaire, she has $90 million. She gets everything she wants. That's not the case for me and my family. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just like, you know what, man? This shit is ridiculous. And so I'm not about to take this shit anymore. And that's when I really started doing shrooms. And so shout out to y'all. Because y'all know people people have like the most distorted perception of, of weed-based drugs. Like it just blows my mind that we, we uh no, not we plant-based drugs. That weed and shrooms are even Schedule One drugs blows my fucking mind. And it's because people like Diane Feinstein wants people to be freaked out and not think to themselves, "Hey, actually, would this be better for me if I did weed and shrooms to think through what I need?" And so yeah, I'm sitting on my couch early January, and I was like, "Bro, I'm about to start doing shrooms every day because I'm." They got me scared as a motherfucker. They had well, what, what me scared. Was, huh? What was what, what was the official reason that she actually let you go? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get to that in a second. I'm gonna tell you the. Uh, I'm gonna tell you when I first. What happened. I get. I speed up to it then. Give so, us a limited amount of time. That's what I'm yeah, that's real. That's real. So January 17th is when I said I'm about to tell them exactly what we need, and if they don't, if they don't acknowledge this, then I'm actually gonna make this point that she does more for her dog Kirby, which is facts, than she does for black people. I tell them January 17th. They say, "Oh, we're gonna follow up." 
And I'm already knowing, I've been here for five years, that's a lie. So the next, the, the day they fired me, the last time I talked to them, January 24th, that was the last conversation I had with them. And before I went into that call, y'all don't even have a job. My family's not rich, but I already knew. I was just like, nah, I've already told y'all and y'all are still fucking around. And my dad died, I almost died. So January 24th comes around. We get on the call. Everybody goes around and say what they're going to do at the beginning of the call. I say, Candace, that's, uh, that's uh, the head manager of correspondence, Candace Hole. I'm like, Candace, before I go into this, I just want to follow up about last week how I said the senator is not doing enough to help black people and brown people who are trying to reach into the office. We have to be more adamant to make sure that they have some type of connection to us. She told me they had other priorities. And, like, I mean, that's what I knew because I've already been here for a number of years. Make a long story short, I gave a 10... 10, 15 minute speech about just how far fetched that was relative to everything we've done the last five years. And mm-hmm. they sat there shook. They didn't say shit for a couple, like we were just sitting there. And I was, I was, I was telling them because I knew everything I said was facts. So after I, they were sitting there, two of my coworkers had the audacity to repeat what I said in a whitewashed way that didn't reflect what I said whatsoever. And so then Candace they weren't, had, they weren't even listening to anything you were They asked. weren't even listening, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to talk fast just to get it all out. But yeah, yeah, exactly. They weren't even listening. So Candace felt like, I guess she felt emboldened by that. And so she repeated what they said. And this she said something like, and our democracy does not survive unless we all stand up. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you know, you know me. You know that does not work with me. I'm not, I don't play that. So then she said, we have 30 seconds left on this call and we appreciate this discussion. I said, as like, Candace, can I finish follow up real quick? And she was like, yeah. I was like, I just want to follow up and say two things. One, what they said is not what I said. I said the senator cares more about Kirby than black people which is indicative of everything I experienced this last five years. And two, you just told me that I can go talk to her in the office anytime I want to, and it's always open. I've been here for five years. She's never walked past my desk. Whenever there's a protest on the third floor, she sneaks out of the office on the fourth floor. Anytime I've tried to talk to her, they deny me being able to speak directly to her about this issue. David Granis, the chief of staff, told me I can't talk to her because this wasn't a priority for the office. And so all of that is taking place. As I'm telling that 30 seconds, no, this is not a, a space where I can talk. And so I spent in that last 30 seconds, I said those two points. One, the senator does not care about black people compared to a dog. Two, this is not a space where y'all ever giving me a chance to talk about what we actually really need. She ends the call saying, thanks for thanks for your what you said, Jamarcus, and our happy hour for the office is still on tomorrow. And, I, and that's when I was just like, okay, okay. And I was like, <laughs> so, I was just like y'all, y'all fucking kidding me. Because I didn't show up to the happy hour. That was February 24th. I mean, uh, January 24th. And then I get the letter February 8th that I was fired for all of the shit that they wrote in that letter, which is a lie. Wow. All right. So um, we got to rapid fire some of these questions. Uh, Anything. So um, number one, we had a little bit of debate behind the scenes here. Was it, in fact, a Swisher suite that you rolled up? I'm from Virginia myself. I'm a Swisher guy. Uh, we used to do the, the White Owls when I was coming up as well. It Was it a Swisher? Was it a backwards? What did you roll up with? Man, I so... I, I was stressed out. I was stressed as a motherfucker, barely. So I love Swishers. And that's what, I mean, I would have, if I had somebody to pull up to the, to the road for me, my anxiety was so fucking high. I keep these raw cones because that's what I love about the raw cones. When you really just need to smoke, but you don't feel like fucking around rolling, I just put a little bit of the weed in the cone, roll that shit up. And so I'm walk pacing around my apartment just like, it's 1 a.m., and I'm like, nigga, I didn't said all this to my office. I didn't, I didn't posted this on Facebook and Insta, and I mean on Instagram, and they censoring it. Everybody in Congress is talking about it, but the Times and the Post and they won't cover it. So I start, I, I was like, I'm about to smoke some shit and figure out. So, I, but I knew I was anxious, and so I got four type of weeds I smoke in rotation. 
I smoke tangy. Like if I want some energy, I hit some tangy. When I want to just be that nigga, I smoke some Jack hair. That's pro- that's my favorite. Like if I'm trying to just feel calm and think, yeah. I see some Durban poison. But this is a moment where I knew I was anxious as a motherfucker, so I smoked my favorite, which is some Afghani. Because that, that Afghani lets you think straight and lets you know, like, hey, you got this. So I rolled up some Afghani and a uh, cone, man, I, and I, I was about to take that joint with me. But I was so anxious, I smoked that whole joint, and I rolled another one. And I and that's when I knew, like, bro, you got this shit. You got this shit. Hello. Because you got you to gotta just make sure that at the end of the day, you know you're telling the truth. Your fucking coworkers know you're telling the truth. Everybody, the reporters know to the point where reporters are texting me. People who I know for years. They text me that we can't okay. cover this because it's Diane so, Feinstein. Right. So 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 how how is the security at heart? Um, do you uh, do you have a security clearance still? Like Yeah. <laughs> you say how I got in that shit? Yes. So bro, so I live 20 minutes from there, going back to the privilege. And when people say, Yeah, I don't like uh, I can throw in too many details. Yeah, I, I live 20 minutes from the building. You don't, you don't have to work. <laughs> give us a give us a brief overview. Like, like what was the process getting? In? Yeah, so I, I walked there. I, I walked. There, I was wearing some Jordans because uh, I was on the shrooms. My energy was so high, so I was just like, Nah, bro, I got to get into this building for real. And so I was hitting that. I was hitting that Afghani, and I was able to come to my senses. I, I had already walked fifteen minutes. I walked back to my apartment at like one thirty a.m. I ironed my suit and I made sure I put that shit on because when you put on the suit, you, the security doesn't exist. All you need is confidence in the suit. And so I walk up to the Capitol, bro. I'm looking at this shit. I'm talking to cops, and the cops are staring at me, and I'm freaking out because I'm on shrooms with a joint in my pocket. I walk into the, I walk into the Capitol. They ask for my ID. I show it to them, and I show it real quick just so they can't really see it because they don't really look because they, they respect the suit. I get into the Capitol. I'm walking around this shit for two hours trying to process, am I really about to do this shit? Because obviously I'm like, well, no, nah, I didn't work my whole life to try to make sure I could be the next one, Obama or whatever, but no, nah, this shit is serious, so I'm walking around. I really got to do it. So I finally, oh, I, there's a tunnel that goes from the Capitol to where I work in the Senate. I walk down that whole tunnel for about 20 minutes and I'm just looking at pictures of my sister on my phone. I'm thinking about black women. I'm thinking about my whole life. I'm thinking about my brother who was shot and killed. I'm thinking about every fucking thing that this country gave me to let me know that they hate me. And so I'm walking there, I get to the office and of course these fuckers that don't really think through the details, they still let me have my ID and I got my keys. So I unlock the door. I'm in the office, man. I'm walking around there, and I'm really just taking a breath because this is a place I hate, but I know so well. So I'm walking around. I get to her office door. Bro, I open the office door. It's this loudest fucking noise that I've ever heard, and it makes sense because it's it's a noise where if you're in the office, you can't you can't hear her from standing literally right outside the door. And so I'm fucking panicking. I'm in the office walking around trying to figure out how to turn off this this screeching noise. Feel like the, it feel like cops about to come. And then I was just telling myself, it's like, the end of the day, if cops do come, if I have this shit saved on my iPhone and I got arrested, they still can get it off. So I took, I took uh, the, the uh, thumb ID off my phone so they couldn't get into it, just using my thumb. And then I said, fuck right. it, I'm about to just turn on my speaker and play this shit. And it's a bold speaker, big ass speaker. So I was like, I know the, the, the audio was excellent in that. Bro, right? I had just bought this speaker, right? That's, it's like that. So I put this speaker on and I'm freaking out. Because like there's a screeching noise in the background that y'all can't hear under the uh, under the speaker, and so I'm, uh, I record for about two minutes, man, and I can't, I literally can't do it. There's a there's a video right before what I posted, and my anxiety's on a hundred, and so then man, I start sitting there and I couldn't figure out what to play. And nigga, I thought about my motherfucking mom. My mom had me and my sister in the projects in Arkansas, and people treated her like shit, and she worked up 
to where she is now. I thought about her, man, and I put on that song in particular because I love my mom. The weird shit about my mom, she doesn't like music, but the one song that she really likes is Elder Barge. I like it. And I was just like, you know what? It's a shit that I know black women in general would love as well. So I put on that song, man, and it just calmed me down. You know, it just took me back home to my childhood. And uh, and I sat in that chair, and that's the next second when I lit that blunt, and then I saw the rest. I love it. All right, so one quick uh, moment here. We got to do a relight for the room, and we're going to get into one ad, and then we're going to go um, with the rest of the questions and finish it up, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker in State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. High luxury equity brand. Local, authentic, lifestyle cannabis. Hanna Express is a select equity brand enhancing highs for the everyday patient and recreational user. Smoke with class and experience. High luxury cannabis. Hanna Express, available at your local Catalyst dispensary. At True Classic OG, we live by one motto, stay true. We stay true to our legacy cut of True OG that's always fresh, piney, gassy, and delicious. We represent the spirit, hustle, and diversity of our great city of Los Angeles. And we stay true to the plant, doing everything in-house to ensure you get the highest quality and consistency with every batch. This is what's made us LA's favorite OG. If you missed the beginning of the show, make sure to catch the replay here on Clubhouse or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a killer review. Let's keep smoking the news. All right, so so Jamarcus, um, why are state officials so beholden to the unions at the Capitol, and how do we get them the fuck out of cannabis policy in California? Oh, it was muted. The biggest issue is that we don't even take meetings unless it comes from somebody who can really donate to the senator. She does not meet with somebody unless it's somebody who works in a a major government official like in an embassy or an ambassador, or if they're going to give money to her campaign. And so when you talk about what can we do, that's the lie that they're telling us, that we can do things within the system, when the problem is... She has so much power that she only meets with rich people. She's never going to talk to me. She's never going to talk to my family. She's never going to see the despair that we feel because she doesn't have to, because that's not how it works indoors. Love it. All right. So um, what does Feinstein say about weed when the doors are closed, if anything at all? Oh, yeah. Well, she she hates it. Uh, and it's and I think the hardest thing about it is that she doesn't... There's so many issues she doesn't understand because she still has a mindset of things that were 20 years ago. Like... Well, in meeting Juby Shock, she called BLM anti-American. Like she called uh, Black Lives Matter anti-American. Stupid. She doesn't know what DACA stands for. When Kevin DeLeon was running against her, they had to keep breaking down to her who Dreamers were. Keep in mind, there are hundreds of thousands of Dreamers in California. It's fucking California, and she doesn't know what Dreamers are. So when you talk about it, it's not that she even thinks through what her pains are. She still just runs on what she's had the last 15 years. And staff, particularly the chief of staff David Granis, he just he runs office himself. Because uh, the senator's barely there. And that's why you hardly ever see her. You might see her on TV once in a while, but the office is really ran by David Granis. And David Granis, he doesn't even, uh, he doesn't, 
Uh, yeah, I don't want to get it to be yeah, it, it's it's out of control. <laughs> as every as any, anyone else ever smoked weed in Feinstein's office, are you or are you a American pioneer? Not that I know, but people do Adderall in the office twenty four seven. Adderall is a huge addiction throughout Congress, and I, I don't like doing Adderall because I have anxiety, and I've done Adderall before. But like my coworkers do Adderall twenty four seven. And that's the only way you can get through that job for most people in terms of they're constantly just popping, 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 working 24-7, not even owning uh, nothing but emotion. And that's why I knew I had to start smoking weed because at one point I tried to get, get in there and do Adderall with them. And I was just like, nah, this is freaking me the fuck out because I already don't even want to be here. And that's when I knew weed was something I had to do. So people don't really smoke, but they drink 24-7 and do Adderall. Uh, sounds like big. It sounds like um, uh, uh, the finance industry where I used to be. Oh, is the epitome of it, yeah. So, uh, in your opinion, does uh, big pharma control her position on cannabis? Oh, for sure, for sure. And that's the hard thing about it as well because they have so much power. Because what they're trying to do right now, now that they see there's a push for it to be regulated, they're trying to make sure that capitalists like her could actually center the market. They can cut out any all the all of the actors who are actually pushing to have cannabis legalized. They're going to try to make sure they're criminalized until people like Feinstein could actually buy up the land and have the resources to actually make money off of it. Because when she talks about it, like she doesn't even disagree with actually taxing and getting the money for it. She doesn't agree with certain communities being able to actually legally work within that field of commerce. And so we talk about capitalism. It's, it's funny when she doesn't even try to support our communities growing the shit we need. But when, when a big person comes into her office and say, let's think about this banking bill to make sure that we can get uh, money from weed through banks. She's like, oh, okay, maybe if they have enough money, and that's the epitome of it. That's the problem. Has she has she even, has she even had any meaningful meetings with anybody on cannabis? Anybody in the industry? Nah, she hasn't had any meaningful meetings uh, with anybody in the industry. The only thing that she thinks about is so Justin Sharon, who I work with, I work with economic policy. We've been trying to put bills in front of her to try to make sure uh, people can bank. You know how you. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it works for everybody, but how you can't uh, have a bank account. And actually have your money go straight from like this cannabis company to your bank. We've been trying to make sure that there's more safety so people aren't just keeping everything in cash. And she's kind of thinking about, well, okay, I already know it's a prevalent thing in California. People smoke and sell weed. So maybe I'll be open to like them being banking at some point. But the actual act that the legalization act in and of itself, she doesn't support. She just sees the trend and wants to make sure she can capitalize on it economically. Right. How much is a quote unquote bunch of mushrooms? You said what? How much is a quote-unquote bunch of mushrooms? Oh, well, it depends because <laughs> in that, in that, uh, every morning I'll, I'll have some tea and uh, I'll add some shrooms into it. And so I have maybe like three grams of shrooms. And so three and a half grams is like a single trip of shrooms. And so I like basically a whole trip in my morning tea. That's <sighs> a, a nice trip to work right there. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. telling you, man, it has me so clear-minded because uh, I used to drink a lot. I used to drink to try to get through that job because it's like alcohol is basically free in Congress. They have receptions every day. And it's to the point where I started getting depressed a couple years ago, and I was like, I don't really want to drink like this, and I don't even like it. And that's when I started turning towards weed, and that's when I started turning towards shrooms as well. Because like the drinking and Adderall culture is a huge problem in Congress, and that if you don't really align with it, it's hard to like keep up. Right. Right. So... um did you even uh, did you comp- contemplate criminal prosecution before uh, going on your trip to work the last day? I did. Back, I said or on your trip back to work that day. 
that's what that's what I love about shrooms as well is that I did contemplate it, but if shrooms really has you at the, if it puts you at the cornerstone of thinking about the values that you really care about outside of the scope of capitalism that you the, of the, the capitalistic way you're taught to t- t- care about certain things. And so I thought about the consequences, but at the forefront of my mind, I knew everything I knew literally would not have gotten said if I didn't say it. I know how the cowards that I work with, I know how little they care about what actually is going on with my family back in Arkansas, what's going on in Inglewood. And so I was scared and I'm still scared. Like I actually, I left out of the uh, Senate and I went straight to the airport back to Arkansas and I'm back in Arkansas right now. Cause like I live in fear, I live in anxiety, but at the same time, I know nobody's coming to save my family. So I just, I let that shit go. I try to smoke or do some shrooms to try to let it go. Jamarcus, I just wanted you to know that you've got uh, four amazing attorneys on the stage with you. And uh, if you wanted yeah, to that's ask one. Yeah. So um, um, where did you ash the blunt and uh, where'd you leave the ropes? Hey, uh, if, if y'all scroll through my IG, because y'all, I'm not sure, if could y'all post my IG link so people could actually, it's also on my profile, but I left, I have a picture that I posted as well, uh, and it, they took it down when IG took down my post. The roach was left on her fucking desk on top of my work computer with her phone and a card for her. And so, like, she, keep in mind, <laughs> I doubt if she saw it, saw it because they shielded her from everything, but they know that, like, they, they know that all... That, I threw my ID through the door as I was walking out. Like they know that I was there where this, all, all this shit happened, but they're not going to tell her because she doesn't live in the real world. Like she, I, I doubt if she even knows that I smoked in her office, which is wild. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, uh, and where did, where did you ask the blunt? Um, Bro, you, I was asking that shit everywhere. <laughs> and then when I stood on her couch, her couch is all white and cream. So I made sure the dump of the ashes straight my foot in there too. So just try to uh, make sure she saw that I was there. Because otherwise, she never knows that black people even exist. I, I was trying to keep it uh, a, a very, very neutral on that, but I, I, I was <laughs> running from here with days of uh, Charlie Murphy and uh, and Rick. Fuck <laughs> Bro, that's why I stood on the couch. That's why I stood on the couch because I was just like, I got this is a particular special spot for me to put these feet. Oh man, uh, uh, that was excellent. All right, so um, have you been contacted since? Uh, this went viral, and uh, what cons- if you have a uh, consequence? Um, have, what consequences have been presented to you? No, nah, okay, I haven't been contacting any consequences. Way the fucked up thing is that, and I want to say this point in particular before I even did this, before I even took time to even think about smoking in her office, I've been contacting the New York Times, the Washington Post, political, all of these organizations for the longest, and not even just into thin air. People who I personally know who con- who contact me because they try to get uh, resources from me. I've been telling them for the longest about what's going on. They didn't do shit. When I posted the first video of just of me, um, my rap, my music video, and just the letter, resignation letter, I sent it out to the same group of people. Tons of people. Tons of organ- any news organization you could think of. They did not do shit. And so when people say, oh, did he snap or this or that, it's not even that. Like, I'm a pretty... Like calm, like like I don't want to say calm because like I have a lot of frustration thinking about the things that they do. But in terms of snapping, now nah, I, I take time to think what I'm about to do. But it's the fact that I've been doing this for months in terms of trying to tell news organizations like that more needs to be done, and nothing had been. So it's just like, what do you want me to do? Do you either want to ignore me or do you want me to do something that's outlandish and call me stupid? But at some point, you're gonna make a choice. Because at the end of the day, what it really is, is you hate me because I'm trying to ask you for something as a black person, you wanna ignore me. And so there was really no option. 
nobody wants to go to Stanford and Harvard and know you can live, you can do anything you want for your family for the rest of your life if you just keep your mouth shut and then just right. give it up. You only do that shit because you see something that's so fucked up and you know nobody knows about it to the point where they're going to, you know, I knew that they were pushing this war about two and a half, half years ago. It's not overt. Like, they don't tell you directly, but just from reading memos the last two and a half years, it was clear what things were trending in Ukraine. And just knowing that nobody's going to believe you or listen to you, I was just like, well, man, I got to do some shit. And like, I don't, I don't want to smoke here. I don't even like being on TV in front of people. That's why I'm working in Congress. But I know if I smoke in this fucking office, they'll report it. But the wild shit is they still don't. Everybody in wow. Congress knows about it, and they still don't report it. And that tells you where we are. It's like, nah, uh, if I'm civil, you're not going to report it. If I'm Atlantis, you're not going to report it. So there's really no fucking option other, other than just still trying to make sure we get into your face. Listen, brother, as a black man um, and a Northwestern grad that, that spent 10 years in corporate finance, I understand through and through everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are the top three things that Feinstein's camp does not want the public to know? I would say the first one is definitely about DACA and Dreamers, because that's the biggest issue that we have, because people don't really protest the office. And that's why like, that's why I love that this article had to come out in Latino Rebels. I want everybody to know the publication that first took this was Latino Rebels, and it was written by uh, Pablo. And, like, it's important to know that they actually stood up when nobody else was willing to. So the biggest thing is that the senator does not support DACA. And she, she has Trump's position on DACA. And she says that these people, this is, like, her words, these people are not even citizens here, and they shouldn't be trying to skip the line. She says this on work calls, and everybody just tries to laugh it off. And I'm just like, what the fuck? She literally does not like brown people. And that's why she doesn't go to Los Angeles. So that's the biggest thing. Because when Kevin DeLeon was trying trying to uh, primary um, primary run against her, we were starting to get protests in office. And that was the first time she had really been getting protests where people were physically coming in. Where one of my interns, he was protesting the front office. And so they were really adamant to make sure she stopped talking about immigration in public and stopped putting immigration bills forward because she's really far away from the issue. And so that's the biggest thing that I would say. I'll say the second biggest thing is that during the 2020 BLM protest, the shit she was saying about Black Lives Matter and just the protests in general and about George Floyd, I mean, that, that's the crux of it. Because she was trying to blame George Floyd, saying, like, nah, if, he, if the cop has him on the ground, he must have did something. She does not, like, and, she's not, and that just blew my mind. I'm just like, wait, why don't y'all show her the actual video and give her context? But they don't, they don't do that just for that matter. The fear is just shocking to me where this person is on a staff call with 50 to 75 people talking shit about George Floyd in the middle of a chaotic uh, environment, and she's acting like everybody's acting like that's cool. And there's only like two black people on the call, and I'm talking to the other black person just like, what the fuck is going on in this office where our bosses call it Black Lives Matter stupid and nobody else even give like touch anything. So I would say definitely in her positions on DACA, BLM and uh, I would probably I mean I don't want to just make up something I can't think off the top of my head of a third one but those those two in particular are like the two things that the office and um, David really shields people from and so like if anybody asks her don't ask her about if anybody were to interview her don't ask her about me don't ask her about smoking on her or, uh, in her office somebody ask her what is DACA don't even ask her what you think of DACA ask her what is DACA and that's all you have to know because she doesn't know what it is and that's stupid All right. So true or false, Senator Feinstein's idea of drug reform is moving the DEA museum flyers from the front of the office to the back of the office. Facts. Facts on facts. 
<laughs> facts upon facts. Um, is it true that a Chinese spy drove her around for an undisclosed amount of time? I'm not sure. And people in the office, they make jokes about that office. So I'm not sure if it's true or not. And so, because, like, we, I've asked the chief of staff, and he made a joke about hold it, too. Hold on, hold on. People are joking about this in her office. <laughs> Bro, you be you be shit. You be shocked about the morbid shit we joke about. Keep in mind, these are people who are writing memos to authorize to help authorize drone strikes. This is we act cool on the on the outside, but it's all it's all it's all Adderall and uh, Adderall and alcohol for some people, weed insurance for the other. It's the most morbid set of people you could imagine, man. And so yeah, we joke about it, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. And I asked chief of staff and um. Asked the last one and uh, this one, David, and they both joked about it, so I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. But I can't confirm. <laughs> he accused Feinstein of inciting war uh, with Ukraine based on uh, relationships with defense contractors. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you please elaborate a little bit on this. Right. So we we get uh, excuse me. So we get a ton of memos throughout the day. People who uh people who work on different portfolios. So I personally I work on economic policy. So anything that's associated with trade, social security, uh, finance, tax, banking and finance, that's what I work on. But the cool thing is every fucking memo that goes into the office goes to her assistant's desk that's right in front of her office. So you don't have to actually open the door and hear that loud ass screech. And so what they don't know is that I used to get in trouble for staying at work late. For every day. And they'd be like, you can't say this late. We don't pay overtime. What are you doing? I'm just, I'm just working so hard. What I was actually doing is I, I would go to her folder. I would take out every memo and I would just read every single memo in there and just document it. And so like, and like, over, and that's the whole thing about it where to your question, I can't really just say like, oh, this is how, because that's not even how it works in politics. You're never going to read a memo that says the Democrats are going to help, help uh, Raytheon and Lockheed Martin stock by supporting the invasion into Ukraine. It's not how it works. But I've been reading memos about after work the last five years in her uh, in her little red folder. They just it's all the tidbits together. If you just logically think about what the actual what situation is happening and what's in these memos and what they're asking for. Man, it's deep. All right, so um, <laughs> do you think that the daily mushrooms uh, that you can uh, uh, that you consume contributed to being fired? Yeah, I think it contributed to being fired because it definitely had me feel liberated because. At one point, man, I was walking around with so much fucking fear that I would say the same thing. I would say like, "Hey, uh," said like to the chief, I was like, "Hey, I think we probably should like do more to these protests because if people are protesting so much, maybe." And I would just kind of, but then they would just cut me off and they would just like, "No, you serve at the pleasure of the senator." When I started doing shrooms and going back to it, I want people to actually look up shrooms so they know because I know in a lot of people's minds they might hear shrooms, they might think of crack, cocaine, heroin. These are all technically right. Schedule One drugs. They're literally nothing alike. And so, more than anything, it just let me have a sense of calm to be like, "Oh no, you can actually say this, and this is not. Uh, this is lo- this is rational. This is indicative of what you experience. This is representative of what the office is and is not doing." And so, it emboldened me. It just let me know that the things that I was saying weren't far fetched, and that I was just scared because I knew that I was risking losing my job and everything I worked for at the. At right the risk of saying what actually needed to be said. And so when I started doing shrooms, man, that's when I really, and that's because you can't do what I did overnight. That's when I really started building up to say, like, I started speaking directly because in my job, we write memos because we speak indirectly. The last six months is when I really started speaking directly. I didn't say that dog shit until the January 24th, but I've been saying shit for about six months in terms of them knowing me, I'm not fucking around anymore. I've been saying like, wait, why? I remember. I remember asking the other day. She was. She didn't do shit to help black people. When I was asking them, 
to help uh, help get contact into the office. But she flew back for a voting rights vote that we knew wasn't going to pass. And I was like, I was asking um, the chief, and I was like, why did she fly back for this vote when she could have been talking to some kids in Inglewood when she knows this vote is not going to pass and it's just a show? So the last six months, that's the energy I've been on. And, bro, they cannot look me in the eye. They cannot look me in the fucking eye. And, like, I got into it with this dude in seventh grade, Ronald Luster. And I was like, I told him I was going to whoop his ass or something. And uh, it obviously didn't turn out like I thought it would. But he made a point to me to say, if you have a point, make sure you look people in the eye so they know what you're thinking. And when you said that you didn't look me in the eye, so I knew you were scared. And it was real. I saw the last six months, man, I've really been looking him in the eye on these shrooms. Because, you know, shrooms, you can't, you can't avoid not telling your real opinion. And they're terrified because they know that I'm telling the truth when I say, why is she flying back for this vote? Why is she doing this or that? And there's no answer other than she's just doing performative arts to try to act like she cares about black people, but she doesn't. Because, you know, going back to the, to the voting rights thing, you need 60 votes for closure. You know we're not going to get it. And you know there's a better use of that time and energy. Why are you doing this? My family's actually struggling. Stop fucking around. Oh, man, I, I, I love that. That's that ego death right there, man. And, and when I found ego cannabis death. as medicine. Yeah. Ego death, the epitome yeah. of it. Yeah, when I found cannabis as medicine, that was my liberating force to get me the fuck out of uh, corporate finance. So I applaud mm-hmm. you. I love everything that you brought to the table today. We do have a, a guest on stage with us today, my man, Justin Strakel. Are you still on with us? You want to ask, ask a question before we tap out? Yeah, do we have any more from the uh, from the correspondence on stage? No, well, I have a personal. I have a personal. And, and then, and then, let's give let's give him an opportunity to ask our attorneys yeah. anything. Uh, my, my my one personal question that I have, man, as a black man from the south, I'm from Virginia, as mm-hmm. well. Um, I tried not to uh, interrupt you early, but um, what was really resonating with me was uh, your comments on like being queer in the south, right? right. Um, like, I'm not a queer. But I'm brought up, and I, I I do joke and tell people I'm from the Michelle Alexander School of Thought, so I can't be racist, but I can be a bigot. There's a, there is a difference there, and um, but I grew up in a military family from the South as a black man, so um, being gay was a sin. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really um, um, socialize with anybody who did not look like me unless they were on a sports team. Uh, well, right, and it wasn't until um, I, I started smoking weed more in college that I started to have my first gay friends, my first white friends, brown, mm-hmm. uh, all clean. And I realized these, 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 these people aren't evil. These people are right. <laughs> like that. Now, do you think that, you know, uh, more education on uh, cannabis and psychedelics could somehow help a lot of these uh, politicians uh, uh, spread the good word and actually get a lot more done uh, when we see gridlock every day? Uh, I don't think I don't think so. Like I, I think that it can holistically, but I think from a, the political standpoint, I don't even like to use the word politicians in general because I feel like there's such a fundamental distinction between local, state, and, and federal politics. Like I think at a local level, like my mayor, who was uh, the principal—I mean, the principal when I was in fourth grade—we can actually talk there and we know her. Nobody actually knows Feinstein. Nobody actually knows Chuck Schumer. They know who they look, who they appear to be on social media. And so it's not even about educating them. They're lying. And that's about, for more, me more than anything at this point, it's just about not even avoiding the truth to try to fit within the system. As, to just saying, as opposed to just saying, like, well, I may never get a job again, but let me be, actually be direct. They're lying, and I have lied for them. I've, let me tell you some shit. I've literally written something that the chief of staff told me to rewrite as a lie that I rewrote as a lie, they went up to the senator, they got through, that was in the news, that somebody told me, and I'm knowing it's a lie. And that's when it fucking hit me at one point. That was a few years ago, when I was like, somebody's telling me some shit I wrote as a lie, 
that I really could have just fought and made sure that I like told exactly what it was, you know, but I was too scared to. And so like, to your point, I, I don't think that they even care. And going back to our actual communities, I know my family and uh, I'm back at home now. I, I realized, I, I wrote something on Facebook recently in terms about like me and my mom have never really got, uh, we've always been beefing 24 seven because I always felt like I had to hide the fact that I'm queer from her. Since mm-hmm. I've been back at home these last couple of weeks or last week, uh, week or so, I'm like, I don't even think that it's a lack of uh, education. I think that people in my hometown, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, they're running so fast trying to keep up with capitalism, trying to keep up with how to survive in the midst of absolutely nothing in the gutter of Arkansas where people don't give a fuck about us. It's just, it's kind of illogical for me to talk to them about a brace of my queerness when like they, one, it's not even something that we even think about for them, for that they need to make money in their lives too. My mom knows that if I'm openly queer, it hurts me to survive in this country. And she knows her job as my mom is to try to help me survive no matter what, who I really am. So I feel like at the end of the day, I'm realizing we're trying to make solutions to problems that were just fundamentally created in the first place when this country was founded. Because at the end of the day, I feel like the, we don't need any more of these education programs. Brown people just need fucking money. We literally just need money. Not Social Security, Medicare, Medicare. We need money to get out of the problems that we're constantly in, in perpetuity. Because the problem is we don't have any power to our voices. If we speak, we don't get paid. And but at the end of the day, we try to survive for our families so we, we can't speak. And so that's why I'm just like, well, fuck you, man, I'll speak. And if I don't get paid, that's, it is what it is. Right. And so now, now that you have blown the whistle, are you worried about reprisals from, any, uh, from people who routinely authorize those drone strikes? Yeah, bro, man, I really am because like, I'm getting, I'm getting uh, hate calls and spam calls and messages around the clock. And, you know, and I'm trying to keep myself motivated and shit, but it is, it is overwhelming. My hands are just sweating 24-7. And I'm just, like, right now I'm on the phone pacing around because I'm still getting, like, I'm getting calls as I'm talking to y'all. And I, and like, I, and it makes sense in terms I'm giving out my number and then people are just spreading out just like, uh, look at this page and I'm getting random ass messages on Instagram and Facebook. A lot of fucking hateful messages. Uh, Breitbart was the first newspaper to, to report this. I reference Latino Rebels because they reported that actually from the real perspective. Breitbart reported it from a perspective of hate, and I get so many messages from those people as well. And so, you know, I've never had this much public criticism in my life, and so it's pretty right. overwhelming. But I'm, I fuck with it though because I know at the end of the day, like, it, it, it's coming from the right place. I know I'm so overwhelmed because I'm back in Arkansas right now. I haven't had shrooms of weed in like 11 days. So it's not really a big thing here, and so I know that's a huge thing to contributing to my anxiety as well. But Every time I see a, a spam call, man, these fucking messages that are like, I fucking hate you, all of these things, I'm like, well, this nigga took some time out of the day to let them know how they feel about me. And so they said something about them. So I'm trying to just remind myself because it's really overwhelming, but I also think it's the right thing to do. Somebody get this man some shrooms and some weed, please. <laughs> <laughs> and and have safe banking. <laughs> Fuck safe banking. <laughs> what is next for you after all of this? Well, two different things that I think about, and it well, this is a hard question because I actually don't even believe in X anymore. Like, when I did shrooms, I realized, like, we think so much because we try to keep up with capitalism and people who have power to do what they want at any moment. The shrooms, more than anything, told me that I just need to trust my own intuition. And so many times we have to deny our intuition because we have to listen to these white voices that are paying us. And now that I'm trusting my own intuition, you know, I really, I don't really have, like, oh, this is what's next. But the two things I think about, one is that I'm really into music. I've been wanting to make music since I was six or eight, but I know, um, like, I knew there's a lot of shit in my community, so I really started focusing in school to try to figure out what I could do. But, like, 
now that's something I really want to dive into. Now and, uh, I have a few songs written. And two, uh, <laughs> this is the shit that's really young. I'm about to come to California next week, and I'm sending a bunch of emails right now to try to work Where? this shit out. Oh, where? Where in California? I'm planning on coming to San Francisco because okay. we need to protest the fuck out of her office until she resigns. And I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to push anybody to do anything they don't want because these last two weeks have shown me how many people hop off the bandwagon when it gets tough. But around the clock right now, Short term, I'm sending messages 24-7 to try to pull up to California in the next week to try to make sure that as much as the CNN, Washington Post, uh, New York Times does not want to put this on TV when everybody's talking about it in Congress, I'm going to make sure there's a fucking protest outside her office as soon as I can so they can't avoid it. And then two, getting into music. But that's the only two things I think about. Like speaking my real voice and also making sure she can't just keep sitting there not helping anybody. Because California has 40 million people. You can't have a senator wasting time. Oh, man. Speaking a lot of truth here, man. I definitely appreciate your time uh, with us today. Um, and uh, yeah, a couple of things here. I wanted to see if, if you had any questions for the uh, for the attorneys that we have uh, on stage with us. We have uh, some pretty high power people uh, on on with us and um, you're in the presence of a pretty good company right now. So is there any questions that you have um, going forward? If you need help, anything. Now, now I don't have any questions. I actually like, I like to see like if like if, if I were to randomly get arrested or something, I like to see how things happen organically to see how these people empower what they actually were trying to do. More than anything, right now, I'm just trying to plan the resources that I need when I'm trying to pull up to California next week. So, if you all like my Instagram is at Rocky. I don't know if it's already posted, but it's, it's my same username on here. If you, I know for a fact, people have been protesting our fucking office for years. I've been in a suit trying to walk past calmly at my desk. People protest, and I know all the fucking energy that's out there in California that it knows that she doesn't care about you if you're brown, if you're black, if you smoke weed, et cetera. And I'm just trying to channel all of that. So if you know the organizations that could actually stage the, at the protest, that like I'm ready to actually lead this shit to say whatever I need to actually get up there, then please reach out to me. You can also send me an email as well. My email address, JAP405 at mail.harvard.edu. But just feel free to let me know anything you can do to make sure that we could just spread the spread like the actual word of what's going on. Because at the end of the day, I already know what the people think. I just know CNN, Washington Post, and New York Times know about it too, and they're not reporting it. I know political does too. So that's all it is for me, to try to make sure that I know this shit would not get televised because that's not how revolutions happen. And it's just all about the people. So let me know anything I could do to make sure that they gets pushed, what actually is going on not only in Congress, we can start just with her, with Feinstein, and why she has to go. Uh, absolutely love it, man. And, and, and here at State of Cannabis News Hour, we're all giving a voice to the people that need to be heard, uh, the, 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 a voice to the people um, who are often glossed over, and I'm making sure we get to the root of these issues, too. And um, I, we're, we are fans. We, we try to keep it as neutral as possible. You know, um, and we do have a, a lot of right hard left uh people on stage with us uh on the team and we try to keep things balanced as much as possible but mm. um i can't not say man thank you for what you did man uh, as a black man in america as a black man in america in a very similar fashion <laughs> but um it was it was really really refreshing to see that uh on that yeah. i appreciate it yeah, you're, you're speaking some really good truths, and it really resonates with our crowd as well. And it, it was really refreshing to, to see the interviews that you did afterwards, because you weren't just like some wild-ass scrub. <laughs> just right. 
in office. You're an educated brother. Uh, you're well-spoken. Um, and um, I, I do believe you have a great future ahead of you, Ed. I appreciate it, yeah. And like I said, this has been the most overwhelming week of my life. And so uh, I just appreciate the support for the same message. I love you, Man, I love you too, brother. Anybody else on stage want to ask <laughs> Javarkis yeah, anything yeah, before we Can we get a weed for the people, Elliot? Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, the the money and the influence and the term limits, uh, those seem to be the, the ongoing problems. How do we resolve those, weed for the people? It, it, other than, like, you got to do it within the system. I know we're over time, but how do we resolve those? That's the big fucking problem. Are you, are you are you talking to me? Yeah, that's the question. Like, my, my would you problem, like man. as being an insider? You know, how do we resolve that? Like, I think the problem is easy to diagnose if you're, uh, especially as you get closer to the government and you see how it works and you're a free thinker. Uh, but the question is, you know, there's a system in place. How do we, you know, overthrow the system? We can't take up arms. How do we change it? What would, you know, I I, I think it's clear that the people are being left out, whether you're right, right, right. or left. It's it's a loop and it has to do with money. And Feinstein just seems like a disease of the whole fucking Spot problem. Spot fucking on, bro. Spot fucking on. And I'm right there with you. And the thing is, I try to keep this to myself, but just in case, because like I've read so many documents over the last over the last five years. I know for a fact that the FBI and NSA is monitoring me based on the things that I've done. Like I haven't technically I haven't got this random thing pop up on my screen, but I just know how they go about selecting who to monitor within any type of government space. And so at this point, I just try to speak out loud my real thoughts. The U.S. Constitution has to be rewritten, and the U.S. Supreme Court has to be restructured. And I know those sound far-fetched because they've been so set in stone for so many years. But when you think about it, like, I think that's one of the most far-fetched things to me is that the Constitution Constitution was written on the backs of black people in support of capitalism. That's, that's completely, like, I don't have, I mean, I have to tell y'all, but, like, that's the thing I think about most is that we're really beating around the bush as long as we keep following the Constitution and act as if the Supreme Court at any given moment is going to be the most conservative body in the whole fucking country. And that's something I tried to ignore for the longest. I was, when I was at Harvard, I was in class saying this shit, and people were like, oh, Jamarcus wants to get rid of the Supreme Court. Yes, dummies. Why are we having this when like, they're decades behind on every issue? And so I think that's the epitome of it for me. And I know, I'm not sure how far away, because I know this is kind of a radical thing when you have people that are still fighting for, oh, my right to bear arms. But I know movements don't take place over the night. They take place with the idea and over the course of tra- over the course of generations. But the Supreme Court has to be scrapped and rewritten. And it has to be rewritten from a scope that actually represents people of color and reparations to make sure we have the equitable things we need to actually compete. Because right now, people in my hometown cannot fucking compete with Feinstein's family and her children, with P- Pelosi's children. My children won't be able to compete with them based on how things work right now where people are literally struggling just to pay housing. And I know one last thing I want to say, man, just from a music standpoint, if you really want to see what my vibe is, when I was in high school, I was depressed as fuck thinking that nobody out there was for me and I was applying to college. I applied to two schools, Stanford and Arkansas, and I just didn't even know if it was going to work out, but I said I got to make a fucking move for my family. The thing I put on repeat, Young Jeezy, Thug Motivation 101, that's my favorite album. Yeah. I put that shit on repeat. I put it on yes. repeat my whole fucking life, the last 15 years. That's the only nigga that, man, I'm about to start crying. It's a, he really got what I was going through. And my favorite song is called Go Crazy with Jay-Z. And the shit yes, that I think about day to day, I got so many fucking family members who are on crack. And they, they, literally my aunts are on crack. And the thing I think about, he said, it's kind of hard to be drug free when Georgia Power won't give a nigga lights free. And I swear to God, that's it. 
I know my family's on crack and all of this shit because they've been broke their whole lives and they have no thought of being able to escape this shit. And so that's what that's on my mind day to day. Well, they say rap music is CNN from the hood. Jamarcus, let me ask one question in regards to your last in regards to your last answer. Um, I know everyone wants to tear down the system, but wouldn't a much more faster solution to that um, be for the Supreme Court to repeal the Dred Scott case? But that's the thing, though. I I, I agree that it's a faster intermediate uh, solution. But the fact that we would even depend on people who went to Ivy League schools to make decisions for the country that in and of itself is far-fetched because I know for a fact when we talk about Breyer or Clarence Thomas or we talk about all these people, for them to have gotten there, their whole adult lives were the antithesis of what you need to see to know how to make those decisions. They never looked at my communities because they, they, they put their sights on getting the clerkship. When, like, the real people who need to make these decisions, they looked at my communities and said, how do we get housing? And so, like, at the end of the day, like, those are temporary fixes, but those are not the people that can ever make the decisions for the people who are really struggling. They don't know struggle in the same way. They may have struggled as children, but their adult lives were a completely different phenomenon than what people day-to-day I see here back at home are going through. Yeah, so many facts there. So many facts. Any, any last ones for anybody else? Jamarcus, what did you study in uh, college? I studied, I studied English and African, African and African-American studies. And that's the shit that really got me because... You know, I didn't even go to college because I went because I like I really wanted to just like write and work on things associated with black people. Well, it gets me, and I don't know if y'all read saw my interview or an article. They told me I told them the chief of staff on multiple occasions the way Senator Feinstein writes these letters, it would never reach my community because this is not how we talk at all. Like in so many, the way she phrases this is in, in di- directly appealing to white liberals at the expense of my community who needs to hear from her. And the amount of shit that I got from my chief of staff my first two, two and a half years in the office, and it's tough because that's when I started changing and when I, be start, I started becoming less radical. I mean, I started becoming less adamant to talk about what my community needed because they were like, no, it's not your job to tell us how to write. You write at the pleasure of the senator. And the senator, she always makes a joke. She says, she always says, like, if you think his side should be, you run for senator. And I'm like, well, who the fuck, what, what adult says that when the staff member's saying you're not really understanding what's going on? She, she says, why don't you run for senator? And I'm and like, okay, it, that's how I know. That's how she I fucking know. That, that because she knows she's, she's not going to step down. Right, right. Because <laughs> she knows that's a fake comment. Like, you run for senator. It's like, okay, I'll run for senator. This black dude from Arkansas is trying to, you know, come on. Like, not to say you can't, but I'm saying for that to be her response in serious conversations, it's far-fetched. And I, the thing I hate most is that she can get away with it because at the end of the day, she does not have to come in public and say anything. And I want to say that, like, Keep in mind, the dude that I caught COVID from who talks in his black accent is still the person who's writing out these press statements saying we're not going to have a comment. And I caught one of her staff members who one of the few black people called her racist, and she still does not have to make a comment publicly. And, like, that's the thing about it that gets me is that she, she, I know how this works, and I've been here for years. What they're going to do is they're just kind of going to wait till the story just passes over, and it's already not even being covered by the main news, and so... It's always just like, what, what can you fucking do? But that's why I appreciate y'all, because it, it all starts somewhere. And I know it's never going to start at the top, because revolutions don't get televised. Oh, we will be televising the revolution. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking appreciate y'all, man. Everything, man. No, we appreciate you so, 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 so much. Uh, Susan, you want to come closer? Yeah. Thank you so much, Rico, for the beautiful interview. And thank you, Jamarcus, for giving us so much of your time today. Um, the, it was a really, really great show. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And again, if anybody has resources on 
political political activism uh, or, or social activism organizations in California, particularly the Bay, definitely reach out to me and let me know anything that I can be that be beneficial, whether on Instagram or my email address, JAP405 at mail.harvard.edu. Just so you know, Jamarcus, you got you got a job offer in the chat already today. Uh, the chat was very very busy. This this uh, show will be available as a replay here on Clubhouse in a few minutes, and then I clean it up a little bit, and it'll be available as a podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Oh, it's perfect! In a couple of hours, yeah, and then I'll push it out to our email list. So hit me up, uh, Jamarcus, if you want me to put any of your contact information or anything like thank that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I do. And when you say hit you up uh, just on what? Uh, you talking about send a message on... Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you... Yeah, we're, we're texting, so just there in, in the text. I'm tripping, yeah, you're right. But yeah, that's perfect. Thank you, thank you, Susan. And I'll send, I'll send you my email address, too. Thank you so much. Um, really great show. Big thank you to Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. Mark President have been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. This one's for you and your mom. Oh. Smoke them if you got them. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye, everybody.